Hello, everybody, and today is a treat. I am joined by two uh, experts in compliance and uh, legal topics. And the, the, the topic of today is an upcoming EU directive about product liability. All right. Are you scared of the liability that your company is running uh, when selling products in the European Union? You should probably be more scared when you look at this upcoming, let's say, revision of the current directive. And by the way, it might end up being a regulation. We're not sure. But anyway, let's not split hair. Uh, when you look at the revision of this directive, uh, you will probably be much more scared. And that's what we're going to cover today. So the two guests we have today are, uh, so a lot of people who've been listening to the podcast know about Clive Greenwood, who is now a compliance counsel at Liang Ma Law Firm. Okay, is a law firm uh, based in Shenzhen, China. Clive is originally from the UK. He's been on this podcast, as I said, a number of times. And he has more than 30 years of quality assurance and compliance experience, a lot of that in China, with a special focus on European Union compliance laws. And this is a first. Clive also uh, got Professor Simon Choi, one of his uh, colleagues, a partner of at, at, uh, at Yangma Law Firm, to join. So uh, Professor Choi has more than 30 years of international management experience. He's a senior lawyer in Hong Kong and in the United Kingdom. He graduated from Peking University, University College London, and the University of Hong Kong Law School. He serves as an independent director of many listed companies and has extensive legal education and practical experience around the world. He once served as the global legal director of TCL, so for people who don't know, that's one of the largest Chinese uh, manufacturers and exporters of, uh, you know, mostly electric, electrical products. And he led TCL towards internationalizations for, for nearly 10 years. So amazing, uh, an amazing amount of experience in international law. Uh, in 2013, he was also uh, appointed as a co-professor of the School of Law at Zhongnan University of Economics and Law. So that's why we're calling him Professor of Law. So um we're in very good hands today to cover this topic. So again, just to, to reiterate what I mentioned, there's a proposal by the European Commission, which will very certainly come into force around uh, maybe March to June of next year, with a period of grace of a transition of only 12 months. So this will be fully in effect, let's say, from mid-2025. Okay, and you better be aware of all the implications of this revision of the directive, and we're going to explain why, if you sell products in the European Union. So there's two very uh, interesting topics to explore, okay, in this uh, proposed revision of the directive. The first topic is who is liable, and this is changing things quite a bit. Okay, the key concept, maybe Clive, you can give us a little rundown on, on, on this and how you read it. But the key concept is that to protect consumers adequately, there's got to be someone in the EU who is liable, right? And that doesn't mean only a company that could on, also be personally a director or CEO or legal representative of, of the company, right? So how do you see this? Uh, impacting the different parties, let's say. 
in the supply chain of, of products sold in the EU. Okay, well, hello, everybody. Thank you, everyone, uh, for having us on again. And uh, again, uh, welcome, Professor Choi. Lovely to see you here on uh, on these podcasts. I hope you are going to enjoy this. Right, so good introduction, Renal. Let's first of all look at where this is. It is a decision 1926-2006 EC consumer protection law, which is being upgraded. So the regulation EU 254-2014 is the additional law which comes in, and it's basically looking at four main areas. First is transparency in the product manufacturing process. Secondly, consumer identification of the source of the product. Three, the environmental risk relating to the product. And four, the ability of the consumer to take direct action related to product liability. So this is the, the high-level context. Let, let's say the, the intent of the regulators is, here, right? And, and your point number right. four is particularly important here. That, that's the one I wanted to cover most, yes. Right. Okay. As we know that uh, for many years, if a product has had a CE mark, then the requirement has been that there should be an EU representative who would hold the technical file and the ability to be contacted in the needs of a product recall. This regulation now does not does not require the ce it's all product uh, the, uh, the current all draft right. is all products so the reason that they've saying this is is very clear in the draft so far that the regulatory authorities shall have the means and ability to prosecute a person in the EU, which is exactly as it was before when there was the CE representative. Now you've got to think about this as all, all, all your products. Mm -hmm. And there is no distinction in the supply chain between the manufacturer, the exporter, the importer, the distributor, or the retailer. Any one of these people can be held jointly or severally liable for product liability claims. Mm. So let's explore what, what that means for the different types of parties. Maybe first, maybe Clive, we can talk about the, let's say the distributor side and the importer side, and then we can get to the, the, the other side, which is, for example, in the case of a producer in China and maybe a trading company in China or Hong Kong, we can we can look into that with Professor Choi right right after. But what what does that change, for example, for the distributor? Okay, what they call distributor as an economic operator is let's say a retailer, yes. for example. What, what does that That's change? That's right. Okay, you remember we've spoken before about the product passport mm -hmm. and the transparency requirements for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those transparency requirements are in, enshrined within this act as well. So what we're looking at here is the traceability of the product through from the manufacturer all the way through to the end customer. And any person, irrespective of how little or how much they were involved, are equally and severally liable. Mm 
all the parties in the supply chain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all the yeah, but irrespective of how much. Okay, mm -hmm. irrespective of how much. Now, there again, there's some numbers being banded around that uh, you know it, it will be a percentage and tended to be percentaged out. But the regulation that's wrote at the moment is the objective of the Consumer Protection Act in its current form has been proven to undermine the possibility to limit or exclude uh, the economic operator's liability through contractual provisions. Yes, that's a very big one right here. That's a very big one. And so that typically... Is in now typical not practice, possible. Right. So in typical practice, if I'm Tesco or Carrefour or one of the, the retailers and I buy Amazon. a product or Amazon, I buy a product from typically maybe a wholesaler, an importer, or maybe I import directly. My contract would always transfer the, all, all the liability back to my supplier, right? And now what mm -hmm. you're saying is that this is no longer possible. Well, the words are, okay, therefore no contractual derogation shall be permitted. Right, right. So what does that mean in terms of the retailer's willingness to carry certain products on their shelves, especially the product categories that, you know, that, that might come with some hazards like electrical products, kids' products, things like that? Well, for the same reason, it should be it should be noted yeah, that the wording is it should not be possible for provisions of na national law to limit or exclude liability, and such financial ceilings on the economic ability are unlimited. Right. So that should scare the retailers. The right? living that mm -hmm. should scare the living pants off the retailers. Yeah. Right. So what, so what are they going, going to do, likely? Well, I think that the big question here would be to find somebody from the product liability insurance people and ask them that question. Right. But uh, as you and I know, it's it's not really an adequate answer. There's a lot of ways for them to say that claims don't um, un, un, uh, cannot be uh, accepted and processed, right? So it's, it's never going to yeah. be the solution. Yes, but also, here's the thing. Within the provision as well of Article 2, if you have not done due diligence, and due diligence, they, they talk about the digital file, which we've spoke about before, right? Now. If you have file. not done that, the technical file, yeah. If you have not done the due diligence and can provide that information on the technical file and it does go to court in Europe, the product will be deemed as defective. Uh, wait, wait, this is topic two. So let's um, <laughs> let's yeah, topic it, one. It, it falls in topic one as well, because yes. who is responsible for that? And the answer is everyone within the buying chain. Right. Yeah. So everybody okay. in the chain. So that's why it goes responsible. above. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So distributors are, are likely, I mean, that's the way I see it. They will beef up their own due diligence and they will they will manage compliance much more tightly. And when they see there's still a risk, they will just discontinue certain types of products. I mean, we've already seen Amazon do that. So that's going to be a change. There's going to be much more requirement for the 
for the importers and for the trading companies that want to be listed on brick and mortar retail shops, but also e-commerce platforms, right? Because everybody in there yeah. is, is going to be at risk of being sued, basically. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The whole thing, which seems to read into both the labeling law and the product and the product liability law, everything seems to be migrating towards the the central topic which we first started with, which was the the actual integrated product passport and transparency throughout the process. Professor Choi, what do you say? For me, actually, say uh, is uh, that risks actually say exposed from the procurement of materials in the manufacturer and then say the carrier, importer, and also it's for the distributor, retailer, and then to end user. It's mm-hmm. to tie up all the parties together. It means that who is in default should be identified. However, that the law will not say, saying that who will be liable for that. The law allows people to sue all the parties and then say eventually who have to pay the compensation or have to reimburse the damages, am I right? How to fund them out and how to enforce them, that is the question. For me, I don't think, all right, because of directives coming out and if enforced, and then no platform selling that kind of category of the woods, I don't think so, because people will buy it. There's a need. No matter online or offline, there are always people buying the products. But how to manage the risk is important. Legally speaking, is that mm. management of risks mm. is important. The EU is setting up the regional compliance centers, uh, which is part of the, I believe it was 4.5 billion euro setup that the EU Commission allocated towards the whole Green Deal and everything. So the aspect of that this should be policed by the consumer, I think is starting to take shape. And the burden of proof, which, which Professor Choi is talking about here, the burden of proof exposes all the uh, the economic players equally. Because all the parties you, should be yes. The best That's right. thing you can do is apply the blockchain technology to make everything from the origin, procurement of material, manufacturing process, and then finished goods, carrier, goods and chances, importer, and then the warehouse, and then go to the distribution channel, and then to retailer, and then to which, who is the end customer, all recorded by blockchain technology. So they say when something happened that we can chase back using the blockchain technology to find out who is in default because the blockchain technology is recorded there is a public record. No one can erase it. No one can alter it. That is the point. And in the past, right, what we're saying is that it's a declaration. It means I declare that all my materials are in compliance with AU directive finished. And then... I uh, no, 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 no. Nowadays, no, not. No, no. no, not now. We, yeah, now, operating a simple declaration, which was the way in the past, yeah, it's been replaced by the technical file. Yes. You can say it, but you must prove it. So the whole proof it. So they say you need to say now, 
this is an auditing company to do the legal compliances to certify that all the process in compiling with the rules and regulation of EU legislation. And exactly. then to make sure that it's a burden of proof that anyone or right, who's the or who are going to compose, say, a passport, self have the kind of, say, burdens to show that we have complied with it. Mm, exactly. So these are non-legal approaches that Professor Choi actually is, is suggesting, using blockchain technology to, 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 to collect evidence of who's been involved along the chain and, and some information with it. And also, um, as, as just what you mentioned just now. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, one question, just to come back to what we were discussing just before, is, okay. okay, all of the actors here are liable if there is some damage to goods, to property, to or to people, right? If there's a claim and somebody is sued and they can sue different parts in the chain. Okay, how about, for example, the importer purchased products from a factory located, say, in, in Guangzhou, in China. So what I hear is that according to this upcoming, let's say, piece of legislation from the EU, the Chinese factory cannot hide behind a contract that says, I'm not liable, right? If we just look at the EU legislation, they are also, it's also possible to ask them for compensation. However, on the ground, and this is, is I'm very happy to have you here and to be able to ask you this question. On the ground, in terms of actually collecting money, right? What can the importer do to collect money from the producer in Guangzhou? Is there a way? Because a lot of people listening to us, watching this video, think, they believe, because they've heard it many times, oh, like there's no way. The Chinese party, once they have shipped the goods, they get paid, that's it. You cannot go back to them, right? Is this true? What would you suggest? So my experience is that a lot of the inexperienced importers who use, say, import goods from China, they use a very simple contract. They fail to uh, draft all the application properly. That's the reason why they cannot recover the loss from the Chinese manufacturer or exporter. The things that actually we can do very well, number one, we have the adequately drafted agreement, making that they're liable. And then say, number one, say we have to understand that, say, a foreign judgment by a EU court, for example, in Belgium or in France, is not enforceable in China. A Chinese court will not enforce a foreign judgment unless there is some connection. There are, there are pi two, but obviously it's not really possible at the moment. The one thing, all right, we can, we can break through this kind of barrier is we can have arbitration, international arbitration. We remember that, number one, China is a signatory country of the New York Convention. It means that if the party specify arbitration in a third-party country or his home country, there will be a better chance, all right? Because when we have arbitration hours, we can enforce in China because China is actually a signing country that ratified the convention. That's the way that we protect our interests as an importer or retailers in Europe. That's mm. the concept. Okay. We so, can specify, number one, you can mm -hmm. use your home country law as a government law, or you can use another country, but you have to specify that, say, 
you use an international arbitration center in somewhere else, maybe Hong Kong, maybe in Singapore, Belgium, Sweden, Paris, London, all right, any place. Because actually, at the time of negotiation contract, the Chinese manufacturer are very willing to open for a third party governing law, international arbitration. That is the way that we can protect ourselves in case of any dispute that we suffer loss and how to recover from the Chinese exporter or manufacturer. That's the method. Hmm. All right. So if I summarize, number one is to have a proper contract well written. Number two is to have the contract called for arbitration in a country that is part of the New York Convention, right? That is a yes. signatory in, in one of these countries. And then if you have these two things and the contract is well written, then you, let's say the importer, for example, can go back to his supplier, for example, a producer, a producing factory in, in, in Guangzhou, how to say, go after them in arbitration as per the contract. And should the contract actually mention that they are responsible for all the damages and right. like so non-compliance non to EU law? Number one, actually, yeah. say, we make sure that say, the party intend to export the, the goods item into EU country. Ah, yes. Therefore, it means that they have to comply with the local law in EU, am I right? It's a very important that you comply with the, the final sales, the destination of final sales, where the end consumer use is important. They mm, yes. must have to comply with that kind of law. Otherwise, why you sell something that's a infringement of law or unsafe products? It's meaningless. All right? So they say, yeah, we need a couple of well-drafted clauses in the contract. We need, say, a government law, which is a Chinese party will be likely to, to, uh, to accept it and go to a third-party arbitration place, which is a China uh, assigning country of the legal convention, all right, for the investment of uh, arbitration hours. I think that will be a fantastic way to mm. protect this. If you are an EU importer, or sailor. Or even if you are an American company, develop your product, actually you're selling it in the EU, Canada, uh, sorry, US, Canada, and then you start to sell it also in the EU, then you can also have your contract specify that. And then if you're liable in the EU, then you yes. can go back. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah because actually there are a lot yeah. of buyers, like New York, say a lot of US buyers, they specify New York state law, New York City to exclusion, but in the end, it's an empty judgment. You cannot enforce it in China. If, if they call for litigation, you mean? Yeah. If they call for litigation. Yeah, if you go to litigation, all right? The same thing happened in the EU. If you do, say, an EU country law like Hungary, and having, say, a, a litigation in Hungary, all right? And then, all right, you got the judgment. You cannot enforce it. That's a problem. Yeah, a big problem. Just to, just to, uh, just to, 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 to sort of like wrap that one up, actually. I'm looking at Article 2, Section, section C, Objective 3 of the Act. And what, what uh, Professor Troy is saying here is actually covered here. It says, the rights and addresses to develop and reinforce consumer rights in the, particular, uh, in the particular through smart regulatory action and to improve access through simple, effective, expedient and low-cost redress including alternative dispute resolution. The ADR actually so is method, yes. ADR, but that's, that's the actual, that's the actual words there. Yeah. 
The ADR yeah. is a method alternative dispute resolution is a new concept. But luckily, it's not very well recognized globally yet. Yeah. I really think that as a say arbitration still the best way. Number one is private. Number two, more efficient. Number three, you have say a convention, all right, to make the Chinese parties to be enforceable so that you have very certain. We need certainty as a lawyer. Oh, yes. Especially with this kind of, of, of uh, piece of regulation that's going to come into place here. Wow. Mm. Okay. So that, that that's great. I think it's uh, we clarified this very nicely. And it's uh, whether people are working for a retailer, for a uh, an importer, for maybe a, a trading company or a manufacturer. Okay. Things are, I think, much clearer. Let, let's get to the second topic, the, the second concept that uh, we we are reading in this new uh, proposal for a new directive is that the burden of proof, so usually uh, in, um, let's say in Europe in general, in, in the US, usually if I say that you did something wrong, I need to bring some proof that you did something wrong, right? I, I know in China, it's a bit different. Right, but in the- in, I think China is not different, I've seen. Yes. Now, the EU is actually getting a little bit closer to the, the Chinese logic. The EU says, wait a minute, consumers, you know, it's just someone maybe sitting in their home, like they don't have access. They should not have to call a lawyer. They should not have to collect evidence. Something bad happened. There's been a damage. They So the, this proposal says that they have the right to request information and the burden yeah. of proof relies on the suppliers, on the seller's shoulders, okay, on the, the distributor, the, the importer, etc. etc. And if the seller does not provide evidence that the product is safe, that the product is fully compliant, and so on and so forth that they tested it according to these technical standards and so on and so forth. If they don't provide this evidence, the product is presumed to be defective. These are the words, and I see Clive is nodding his head, right? These are the words <laughs> from, from the proposal, right? And this is very strong wording, I, I, I feel. Yeah, let's have a look at what they actually say here. And... This is all preemptive action. It says, before placing the product on the market, the manufacturer shall ensure manufacturers carried out an appropriate conformity assessment. If the product has been placed on the market, corrective actions should be taken, such as to bring the product into compliance. The manufacturer shall draw up a technical documentation and affix the relevant labels and marking, including an example, a CE marking, and fulfill their traceability obligations. The manufacturer's contact information, the display of the type, batch, serial number, and product identifying number. The product is accompanied by the relevant instructions and safety instructions, if required in a language easily understood by the consumer and other end users according to the rules of the EU country to which it is being imported. Hmm. And just, uh, as a, just as a note for the listeners who may not be familiar with that, in the <laughs> EU, when they say the manufacturer, 
they mean the company that puts their logo and their brand name and everything on the product. If there's no yes. mention that the manufacturing company is this company in Shenzhen, blah, 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 then by default, the importer who brought the products on the market and put their brand and everything on, on the product or the brand or maybe the brand company, which might not be the importer, they are the quote-unquote manufacturer, right? So there is a section which allows for that to happen, uh, which is that if the manufacturer is no unknown, then the last point of contact in the packaging information shall be deemed liable, which is exactly what you just said. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's going to and be on the hook. Yeah. The other side of this one is it also, by looking at uh, objective one, which is safety, there are actually now trying to coordinate very much. Remember when we talked about medical products, we were talking about the market surveillance that you needed to do to maintain the product. They've actually brought this into the into liabilities here. So the coordination of market surveillance and informants actions on product safety with regards to Directive 21, sorry, uh, 201-97-EC shall improve customer accountability enforceability. So in a nutshell... Your product, your product yeah. labeling. Yeah. Yes, they're really tightening things up. They're making things more obvious. So it's very clear... It's very it's much easier, let's say, for any party, such as a consumer, to bring a case in front of a court in somewhere in the EU, start the process, and get somebody uh, involved. You know, right? Uh, so they mm. they can find someone to to sue, basically. That's yeah. Um, if you remember, you know, I said that they were actually going to have all of these compliance centers set up in various mm. EU cities. Okay. Basically, the way that I read this, that you would be able to actually either use an NGO, report it to an NGO, or you would be able to go to yourself, like the Consumer Protection Society that is in the UK, for example. They will then demand access to the technical file. Failure to provide that technical file is an admission of, of that the product is defective. And just to clarify they, also... The technical file or technical dossier or whatever it's called will include the information about the producer, will include the bill of material, <laughs> the the drawings and, and other information about the product itself. Uh, and of course, the, the test reports and factory certifications or audit reports, uh, risk assessment about the product and mm -hmm. declaration of conformity. Um, that's going to be required also because of the new uh, general product safety regulation coming into play next year. So all of that That's is right. going to have to be in a technical uh, file, right? So there's a lot of information they can get their hands on and they can really dig deep into it and see if maybe somebody forgot something. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, you know, if you look at the existing uh, PLD, which... Uh, is the original directive of cons where consumer protection, health and safety all starts to come into one aspect of this. So the PLD needs to ensure consumer protection if defective products brought directly from a non-EU countries, 
such damage where there is no EU-based manufacturer or importer. That's, to me, again, is coming back to the idea of online shopping, where there is no direct person. Uh, now, we know that the um, the digital platforms have been covered by a separate EU regulation. Okay, But what I'm reading here is as soon as you put that onto a shop shelf, you are now liable. Oh, yeah. Equally oh, yeah. as the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. Right. Jointly and severally, right? Jointly so, and severally. Um, so one question, and we discussed this a bit before recording this, is how, and maybe Professor Choi can can share his his um, idea on this. That means there's going to be much more pressure on the producers. And in China, there's a lot of producers who develop the products and say, this is my product. I will not tell you how it's made. I will not give you the bill of material. I will not give you all of this. It will put a lot of pressure on them. Number one, to do things as per the rules and actually constitute the technical file the proper way, etc. And number two, to actually share it every time it's going to be requested, right? How is this going to fly with Chinese producers? Do you think there's going to be a lot of resistance? For me, it's actually uh, for all the businessmen, do you want the business? Is it necessary that you do it? If yes, comply with, sorry. Mm. And then there will be a balance between what's about confidentiality and disclosable, right? What used to be disclosed become public information. What should not be disclosed being become say a still remain confidential, right? That is the concept. They have to strike the balance between what to be disclosed, what to be disclosed. This is important. I want to go back to one thing about the directive, right? Itself. Number one, say we say that say uh, for usually for people that they want to sue anybody, the burden of proof is the party who make the complaint. However, under a statute, a piece of law or right, legislation, we call it strict liability. It means the law say that who has the burden to prove, not traditionally say the claimant to prove it. Under the kind of say safety law, right, the burden of proof should be the party who being the product to EU. Therefore, they have a lot of duty to prove that they are prudent. So they say, this is in favor of consumer because consumer are the weaker parties. They don't have all the resources to check all the things. They don't have the expertise to know that whether this kind of material should be safe or not. All right. They have relied on the poor thing that's yours the thing that's it is combined with law. And they because you say that you're holding out yourself is combined with law, therefore, if they are not combined with law, you are liable. Therefore, the piece of law actually is protecting the consumer rights. Well then. Mm -hmm. All right, she remove uh, any party who want to sue body, say, in terms of number one, ports liability or contract liability or under statutory sales law. Here, you change concept is the burden of who should be the party who bring the product into EU. That's why all the party involved, if you are the materials supplier, your manufacturer, your explorer, your carrier, your distributor, your retailer. You all are liable. We see you in one hole in a hub. And then at the end of the day, somebody who are not in the EU, 
you cannot show them when it's empty, they lock her leg up, all right? However, that who suffer loss will how to recover the loss from another party is important. There's a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Only thing that how yes. can you recover your loss from someone who are able to pay you is important. For a consumer, is that yeah. I sue somebody because there's a brand name there. I sure somebody because it's an online shop there. I sure a person that will retail sitting there. That's why he has the money to pay me back or to re- reimburse what I got lost. So that's it. This decision, of course, it will be a better protection way for the consumers. Of course, for better pro- uh, protecting the environment as well. So the military, governance, that is the Cool. It's a way they have to legislate a law, a pass a law. If we look at realities of how, let's say, for the past 25 plus years or whatever, that business has been done in China with, uh, you know, the concept of caveat emptor or the buyer beware has always been something which has been prominent in buying products from China. This obviously now is 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 a paradigm shift away from that. Mm, totally. Now, the question I have in my mind is: suddenly we're faced with a slew of what was it, sixty-four new EU regulations coming out over the next eighteen months, and especially this piece of legislation. It's as as, as well. Is it going to be challengingly possible to enforce this in manufacturing in China? I think that that's the big question. To get to the point which we made earlier, the rules and the the actual convergence of all of these labeling laws, EU laws regarding product design, reliability, sustainability, transparency, and now liability, all seem to be heading in one direction. Yeah, stop mm-hmm. putting bad products on the EU. Don't on the EU market. Don't think you're going to be able to hide somewhere. Uh, this is not happening anymore. Yeah, that's the way that I read it. What about you, Sam? I mean, you're deeply involved, as I know, with manufacturing in in, in the Grand Dog. I mean, how do you feel that that's this is going to be taken? For me, actually, say market driven. Actually, say always market driven. Market shifts. Yeah, because yeah. it's not a piece of law, but actually say, do you want the business? If yes, comply with law, that's it. Or you'll be out of the market. Survival. I think all the people that they want to sell to EU, they, they will comply with. The people they are not able to comply with, they will be out of the market. Very simple. And then you're eliminating a lot, say, of uh, exporter all right, or manufacturer. They are not able to comply with this kind of legislation. So they say the leading mm-hmm. behind manufacturer will have a higher quality. It eliminate a lot of competitors who have a very low one could not be combined with the law. But I think that say uh, China actually catching up very fast. The law say passed, and then the manufacturer they will change the mindset, and then they will adopt a new policy, and they will going to comply with the law because they need the market. Yeah, this would be good for the best manufacturers, and very bad for all the other ones. Basically, the quality manufacturing is important. Right. Well, that's uh, <laughs> that's a message of of hope that this will really result in uh, in in better quality products on on the EU market. And as you mentioned, the 
the fact that a lot of the lower quality manufacturers, less sophisticated manufacturers, will simply be driven out of the market. So a big shift probably coming up over the next five five years, maybe a bit longer, right? So with that message of hope, a big thank you to Professor Choi who joined us. Uh, that was very, um, very good to hear from your voice about especially the, the ways to actually go after uh, Chinese manufacturers, which again, most people think is not really possible. Uh, thanks also to Clive, who is a, a regular on, on, on this podcast. And thanks a lot for, for, for bringing Professor Choi on. And thanks to the listeners. And uh, you will hear from us next week. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophie's Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too.